0: Welcome to the Jane Nicholas Sound Vibe Show. In this podcast, I meet again online with Alex Holdaway and Marika to talk about producer Graham Holdaway. In this second pod, we continue to talk about his works with many artists and bands and how many of these creative folk came together in Wells to speak, play music, and pay their respect at his funeral. So welcome back to the show Marika and Alex and one of the questions I have for you is what was it like outside of work for Graham and for yourselves? For instance was it hard to raise a family and to find time outside
1: of work? I mean I think when Finlay came along that was when I think that the sort of the transition, another transition in Graham's life happened in that he was with when i first met him he was still at west heath studio Mm. um and that was about to be bought he was very involved in um, atom bomb yoga in fact Mm. when i met him because we met via guardian soulmates and when i met him um i put the ad in because this is pre-internet I put the ad in and he answered it and um, and I heard his voice and um, I immediately thought, wow, what a voice. Unfortunately, he had the same name as my father, which was not good news. So I was a bit. "Mm." But but um, I overcame that and later discovered it was spelt differently anyway. So that was all right. Um, But um, he we met once in a pub in in stoke newton high street and then i didn't see him for about 10 days because he was recording an album it was quite a dodgy old time because having met someone through um a, a lonely hearts column as they used to call it in those days for, for him to then disappear yeah. um and he was very sort of so you know absorbed in this album to a point where you know as i then came to know him better i i obviously didn't take it personally but I did kind of wonder because he was just gone onto planet Graham and I just didn't see him Um, yeah but when when we did sort of kind of spend more time together um Atom Bomb Yoga was just definitely the focus and they were they recorded this wonderful album um Mm. but then slowly everyone in the band Graham included had the challenge of wanting to make music but also having to bring up family and so Mm. one by one graham was the first graham had to go and do a proper job (laughs) um and he set himself up as a freelance technician sound technician Mm. um and and was very good at it and and quite successful at it and then you know ended up in city hall and the houses of parliament and those were more regular hours but when we were when we, when Finley was a baby, he was off on the continent doing these events all over the continent, and mm. that was quite hard. And yeah. so um, he came back, and we decided, no, this is it. We, we, we've got to we've got to be a family unit. Given the, especially because both Graham and I didn't have very good uh, mm. family units as children ourselves, we wanted to make sure that Finley did. Um, mm. So really. For, for most of Finlay's childhood, Graham worked as a, an audio technician engineer um, mm. in Parliament and City Hall um, mm. and um, played with the old kings and had sort of projects on the side, sort of uh, mm. doing projects on the side. Um, so we were able to be more of a cohesive family unit. Yes, I think after '95, when he left the West Heath, then that really was the end of kind of full time uh, record engineering. Right, Um, and then until we moved to Shepton Mallet in twenty eighteen. He didn't, he had a couple of um, studios. He always had to have a studio. It, in, in London, uh, he had one in our, in our garden that was just a very big garden shed. Yes. Um, and then in Shepton Mallet, it was literally the spare room. Oh, yes. um, so I had to live with a lot of Graham's equipment on it <laughs> in close <laughs> quarters. Um, and when we moved to Shepton Mallet and he then had... Uh, the studio the purpose built studio space um he was he he and he also stopped working because although we didn't realize how ill he was he had to stop working full-time because he he was um he wasn't really able to work at full-time anymore so then he started to take on some more projects so he worked with you during that period right right extensively
0: You've spoken about the musicians that he and friends that he grew up with. Who do you think were his other favorite artists or musicians to have worked with? Was there anybody who really inspired him?
1: Uh, Salad,
2: yeah, that's the first name, right? Yeah, yeah. Extensive recordings with uh, with Salad. I think they really clicked, and
1: um, and reconnected in the last year of his life as well. And they were, they, they paid tribute to him at the funeral and, um, yeah. they had a very good and extensive creative, um, partnership for some time. And he, when he got back in touch with them in sort of 2018, he was so excited to be back mm-hmm. in touch with them just because he remembered working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um, Eddie Ashcroft, who is the composer, um, for uh, and lead singer for Atom Bomb Yoga very mm. very clever man very and they worked extremely well together mm. I can't think and going further back oh I mean Trans Global Underground um, mm. Fundamental I, I remember I mean I, I came in at the end of his time at Nation Records and um, that had been a very very uh, rewarding time for him um, and a prolific time for mm. him so quite mm. a, a range of different mm. music styles as, as Mareka said at the beginning
0: yeah. It would be good to talk a little bit about the funeral now and how um, it came together
1: Yeah, so um, Mareka and I were uh, as you can imagine pretty devastated and so mm. we were talking on the phone a lot Mm. Um, but we weren't really up for working together on the funeral it was mm. it was just we were. we were both just dealing with the shock I think um mm. so what what happened was I worked alone on on sort of I actually found it very therapeutic and actually obviously oh um having lived with Graham for 25 years I I things it came to me quite quickly what what I wanted to do mm. um and then Mareka um supported chris van Dyke and um paul tinsley who are um, graham's old school friends
0: mm.
1: in in writing a sort of a tribute and then I fed into that as well and they sort of produced that so we 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 sort of fed into to that to a process that way, and I decided on on what readings I wanted. First thing was Love Potion Number no. Nine, um, performed by Keith and mm. Julian, who again old school friends of Graham's, and Graham loved the song Love Potion Number no. Nine and um, performed it whenever he was given the opportunity. They performed that. um and then we also had ryan who is um, a a dear friend of finley and i he um is a school friend of finley's graham kind of took him under well we both did we both took ryan under our wings a a bit when he was a young when he was when he was about 14 and he came on holiday with us every year and He's also a, a musician, and so he Graham helped him a lot in terms of his development as a as a musician. Um, so Ryan um, played a song that he'd written for for Graham, which was lovely. Um, and then the Dutch contingent, as we call them, um, also we had Ben and Sasha reading mm. in both Dutch and English. Mm-hmm. Um, a tribute to Graham, which was lovely and very, very moving. Graham was in a band in the early 90s um, called Atom Bomb Yoga, a, a, a name I always lobbied for them to change to something else um, because I I didn't think that the name um, did justice to the wonderful music that they produced during their time together. Um mm-hmm. And in particular, there's a song called Hubble, which is about the Hubble telescope, um, and that was written by Eddie Ashcroft, um, but performed by Graham on bass, and he also produced it. So there was a um, an acoustic version of that, which was lovely. And then uh, my son Finley did a eulogy, amazing. I don't know how amazing. he did it yeah. because. And we did have what my friend Neil on standby in case Finley felt he couldn't read it, but he did an amazing job. And the the end of it is a a, a reading from uh, the Lord of the Rings, which was mm. so beautiful. I've always resisted Lord of the Rings. It was an area where Graham and I did not were not on the same page at all, um, yeah. because he yeah. absolutely adored Lord of the Rings. But I, when I heard Finley read this passage. It was so moving that I was almost moved to think. Well, maybe I should read it then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Yeah, but but yeah. So there was that, and then Chris and um, Paul read this wonderful tribute. Yes. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think with um, with the funeral, it was logical in any way that Alex would take the lead. Um, mm. I think. Important, mm. um, and I think I think during the funeral and and also afterwards it it was a very complete way of um, celebrating Graham's life. And perhaps worth adding that the school friends who did the eulogy about the the, the early times of Graham, they are actually also significant in setting up the Beat Factory, and also they are the ones that Graham was playing in a bandwidth with at high school. That's how they kind of connected when they went, went to secondary school, but they, they still play the band. Obviously now with without Graham had a few members added and, you know, they've had a few personnel changes, but it's basically still the band from the, from Kingsbury high school. And so, so they're, they're a very important thread running through um, Graham's life and, And of course, I, you know, I still know them sometimes go to to um, the band's performances Again, that's that's kind of normalising how our relationship changed, you know, because obviously those people, you know, Chris and Paul were at Graham and my wedding in Holland. Um, in 1980, you know, so they're part of an important part of Graham's life, mm. um, and again, an important foundation because you know he did have a, a childhood, you know, with his mother dying that became very very difficult, and so they these friends in Wembley and uh, environment were were very significant for for Graham, and so it was very very
1: appropriate um, that they would form a part of the of the funeral and... Yeah. And um when I met Graham, he ha- he wasn't really in touch with any of them because of the fallout of the beat factory. Mm. Um so they weren't hadn't fallen out, but they, you know, it has long-term friendships, suddenly they ebb and flow a bit, don't they? And and they they weren't really in touch. And I remember going to Chris's 50th. Probably. 50th. Yeah. 50th. And thinking, ah, and I met all these people, and I thought, that's what's missing in Graham's life. It's these people. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said this to him, and I said, You need to fight tooth and nail to re-establish those friendships because these are <laughs> really good people and they mm. they clearly love you. I can see that from one meeting. And mm-hmm. so he he did and they became incredibly close again yes. Yes. and uh, and actually since graham's died they they've been extraordinarily supportive of me and i i have i know they're in the background keeping an eye and um mm. which yeah. has been lovely
2: yeah yeah very important i mean i think i do, yeah like you say there wasn't really a fallout it's just you grow apart because every they they all had kids as well You know, so they, so then you end up in a different, different phase of your life.
1: Absolutely. Graham and
2: I didn't have children together, and we split up. So then you're, you're on a, you're kind of on different paths. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. What I meant by fallout was not falling out. It was, it's um, when the beat, beat factory closed. Yeah, closed. uh, Everyone kind of then scattered, and and lives. Mm. As as Marika said, there were children, and there were, but you know, so it was just a very different lifestyles. Is there anything that
0: you feel you want to share that I haven't asked? Yeah, I mean, in, at the Beat Factory,
2: like I said before, so I'm just repeating myself. Really, there was such a diverse range of different different artists, and I think um, I think Graham thrived on that, really, um, because he focused. He's able to focus on the particular artist that's there on the day on that particular Ooh. project. Um, I mean, for example, there was one memory that I have that we did a, a whole revamp of the studio and we replaced the the big mixing desk. Um, we had a relationship with Graham Blythe, who worked at um who was one of the directors at Soundcraft. And so um he invested in this in the studio, and we had one of the huge mixing desks, and we did you know various other alterations and cosmetic alterations and we you know the studio was closed for a couple of weeks and i remember us working incredibly hard to get it to get it completely finished and we were soldiering and doing everything to get it ready for the next client and the next client was um gary yershon who was producing um i think it was a series for channel four called painted tales and he so he's a composer and so it's basically doing the soundtrack for this, uh, for, I think it was classic fairy tales, uh, sort of animated series. And, uh, and he'd come to the studio, you know, at regular intervals. And so we'd done this huge revamp and we were absolutely exhausted, but Gary was booked in. And so, you know, nine o'clock, because he always starts really early, nine o'clock in the morning, he had to, um, we had to start and be ready to go. And I was, <laughs> I was hiding in the toilet when Gary arrived because I'd actually carried on working all through the night to get it all kind of tidy as well. And so I was hiding in the toilet so Gary wouldn't see me. And so he'd go into the control room where Graham was waiting because he'd gone off to home and having showered and and slept a little bit, I think, um, you know, and so focused on Gary. And I I could then slip out quietly, you know, looking like death warmed up. (laughs) Care everywhere. Um, and then, um, and Graham tell, always told this afterwards. He said, um, Well, Gary came into the control room and I was waiting for him and, you know, in this situation. And uh, he sort of looked around him and said, Oh, have you done, done something new? And there was like a whole new mixing desk and it was just, everything was completely different as far as we're concerned. But Gary was focused on his project and said, well, anyway, uh, yeah, it looks nice. Anyway, I'd like to, you know, focus on this, this and this today. And Graham said, right, OK, you know, and so so that's kind of very illustrative for how Graham would go from one total extreme situation to focusing on the client. You know, Gary had a plan for the day and and he was a very somebody who worked very methodically. You know, right. he's a composer, like a, like a classically trained composer. So he would layer all his tracks and mm-hmm. have it all thought out. And and Graham, you know, just focused on that. And that that's a very clear um, illustration of of you know what used to happen at the Beat Factory. And then it, you know, if two nights later, you know, we had the Aki from Nation Records come round with the you know Trans Global Underground. Crowd, it would be a completely different vibe again, you know. You know, which oh. also stood him in good stead for for later, for all the
0: things he did um, in later years. Alex, do you have a special memory to share about Graham as a person, or within the family, or professionally?
1: I mean, I think Graham. He was uh, given what a very difficult childhood he had. I mean, this sounds really trite, but he was a thoroughly decent man, and had made a promise to himself that he would not be like his father had been, which was, you know, he he, he wasn't um, he wasn't a particularly good father and despite all the experience that graham had he he was his capacity to love
2: mm.
1: and care for people and be loyal was mm. extraordinary obviously he drove me up the pole but i always i was always very aware that i was extremely lucky to to have this man um mm. love me in the way that he did and he loved his sisters, uh, his two sisters, Kay and Linda. Mm. Um, and he was just very funny. One of the things that I miss most about Graham is his laugh. He had this huge laugh and he found things hilarious. Uh, you know, he was kind of a, a combination of being larger than life, very forceful personality, and being extremely gentle at the same time. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I think that's quite something
0: up. Thanks for listening in to the Jane Nicola Sound Vibe Show. You've been listening to Alex Holdaway, Marika Bergkamp, talking about the life and the work of Graham Holdaway. If you'd like to know more about producers and musicians and artists from all over the globe, then you might like to subscribe. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with us.